shake there. So the latest, the latest hair. I can't look clean. Lovely. Um, anyway, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Anthony. I'm Joe. And this is the Seedal Global Sales Podcast, a weekly look at challenges you or I may have in the sales arena <clears throat> and discuss your listener questions. Um, obviously, um, there is a choice. You can either attend these sessions live and you can sign up via Seedle.com to access how you can get into it. It's free to join on part of the Light membership. But also, of course, you can also access, if you're in our live audience, you can listen back to our archives as some of you may be doing. So, of course, some of you might be listening today and this could be the year 2040. And you're listening to our archives, knowing now that we are, you know, hugely famous people around the world. Or we could be in prison, one of the or, you know, any number of things. But the idea behind this podcast, as many of you know, is that me and Joe, um, having worked together for a long time, we chew the fat on subjects. And this week, Joe has a wonderful subject, but we also have some listener questions as well. If you want to submit a listener question, um, all you do need to do is email podcasts at seedle.com and they come through to me and Joe, podcasts at seedle.com. And we will attempt to answer it in the next episode. Joe's making notes, which suggests she's up to something. Um, how are you, Jojo? For the benefits of the listeners, what's new in the world of Josephine? What, personally or work-wise? Personally. This, oh, okay. This, this, we're we're um, amongst friends here. What's new? Well, actually, I have um, a really nice new garden. Well, not new, new, because we did it all ourselves, but it looks really nice. And I planted vegetables for the first time in my entire life on the weekend. What vegetables did you plant? Savoy cabbage, um, leeks. And when, and when will they be lettuce. ready for, 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 for eating? Well, I have a very strong feeling they're never going to be ready for eating. <laughs> because I'm not the green finger type, but I'm just interested to see what comes out of it. But I think they start to seed within 28 days. So when, when they start to seed, I'll show you. And if they actually grow into anything, I'll bring you over a Savoy cabbage because by then restrictions might be lifted. Well, we can, we can in theory, um, share vegetables uh, outside at the moment. So for those of you that may be listening in the future, um, we are... Uh, just yesterday, we have been allowed to now congregate in public spaces such as pub gardens and things in groups of up to six people. Mm -hmm. And we're allowed to go back into shops again. Now, now, by the way, if you're listening to this in 2040, of course, it could well be that that is the norm now. But I can tell you something uh, in the 1990s when me and Joe were in our heyday, it wasn't the norm. Um, but anyway, that's nice. So we, we are also growing some vegetables. The kids have got these little planters and um, little mini greenhouses with little domes over. And they're growing, I believe, a cucumber, some carrots, um, and I don't know what else because my wife did it with the kids, not me. Yeah. That's nice. It's good to grow your own stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And cheaper. And cheaper. I don't know. Once you put the water bill, the cost of soil, the you know, the the, the wonderful UV lights. I'm joking. Yeah, you're probably right. You clearly haven't been shopping. Well, actually, you can get quite cheap vegetables these days. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. That it's it's the satisfaction. I've got a picture of Charlie, my oldest boy, when he's about two and a half, three years old, holding up a load of carrots he'd grown in the garden. We're very excited because obviously they exactly. just grow out these little, yeah. you know, green things, and you pull them, and then all of a sudden, <gasps> oh, carrots. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, good. yeah. So, Joe, you you had the idea of this week's conversation point. Why don't you explain to our dear listeners what it is whilst you cream up your hands? And obviously, for those podcast listeners, they've got no idea. But you may hear her. That's nothing sordid. It's just her putting moisturizer. Already on. dry skin. Um, yes. Well, 
you know, I was thinking, as I always do about our weekly podcasts and thinking about some of the challenges that some sales professionals have to deal with. And I think that, you know, when you're talking to a client about, you know, the services you offer, the products you sell, the technology you might be trying to sell them, whatever it might be, sometimes you find it really difficult to pitch the product in the right way because you haven't done a really good thorough, what I call, what we call client discovery or need find meeting. So I really wanted to chew the fat, as you love to say, Anthony, on effective questions and how long do you really spend or should you really spend understanding the client's business? How important is it to do that? What are the pitfalls if you don't? What are the challenges that you face when you then try and move into the next stage of the sale, which is obviously talking about your product and service? So, yeah, because, you know, from my experience of many years working with salespeople, being a salesperson, leading a sales team, listening to role plays, listening to real life sales presentations. We are so good at talking about our product and our service. And, you know, we know the ins and outs and we know how it works. We know how it can help other people, but we don't really understand how, what the need of that client is because we haven't spent enough time doing it, haven't had enough conversations with them, haven't built enough of a relationship to get them to open up. And that can cause, from my experience, that can cause challenges. And that's when you get that objection when they say, look, it all sounds great, but you know what? I really don't need it. Yeah. It, it, it's it's interesting, Jojo, because I, I think it's safe to say every client that me and Joe have worked with, whether as employees of a company where we're asked to come and sort out sales education or actually our clients more recently and our new wonderful venture we have going on together. I don't think there is a single client yet that where their people haven't flagged questioning techniques is a big learning priority. And yeah. that, that that's quite surprising because bearing in mind... When you talk to these organizations and they say consultative-led selling is the way we like to sell, but we don't seem to employ sales consultants. <laughs> um, mm, what yeah. they in- employ is a salespeople. And, and me and Joe talk to lots of salespeople who say that, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, I, you know I, I'm great at selling. Um, actually, the best salespeople aren't salespeople. They're consultants. You know, they, they, they listen before they, they, they pounce. And they actually, when they, when they go with an idea, it's completely aligned to what the client needs. And unless you ask them the questions, um, often you know there's 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 um, there's there's things that are left on the table. You know, and, and and actually it's funny, isn't it? You know, you know when you go through these job interviews, and and I would never work for a company that does this interview, and they say, "Sell me this pen." That's a real eighties question, isn't it? Isn't it just? But you know, if I look at this pen, if the designers of this pen didn't recognise there were needs for the consumer and users of this pen, they wouldn't have put the features on it. And so therefore, if I'm just going to go and flog a pen to Joe now, without me understanding what features are going to be of most value to her, it's going to be quite tricky for me to just sell the pen. I mean, don't get me wrong. A pen assumes a generic need for me to write something. But actually, there's a whole host of other things that you don't know about Joe. So if I was ever asked that in an interview, I'd go, well, no. Um, well, OK, I'll sell you the pen. But before we go any further... I want to ask you a load of questions first. Well, that's not part of the role play. Well, I can't sell you the pen then, can I? It's no different to a client walking into a um, into your business and saying, how much is it going to cost for X? Well, I don't know how big it is. I don't know how many of them you want. I don't know how quickly you need it to be built by. You know, there's so many unknowns. So therefore, why is it that we 
we kind of almost lead with a sell and a price and guess what? Then as Joe says, people say, well, my, I don't need it. And of course you've got nowhere to go. If they said they don't need it. Well, yeah, see you later. But you do. I know you do. No, I don't. <laughs> um, so I think you're right, Joe. It's, it's a, it's a big subject. Yeah. And you know, I always, I always think about when you go to the doctor, okay. If you go to a reasonably good doctor, which of course most of them are, let's, let's hope. Um, and you sit down and, and they say, okay, so what's wrong? And you say, well, got really bad pain in my tummy or really bad pain in my foot and they say okay well let me give you some tablets for that so they write the prescription out and off you go and you take the tablets and you know two weeks later you think well my pain hasn't gone it's exactly the same as it was and you go back to the doctor and you say take these tablets but they didn't work it's still the same of course that doctor has not really diagnosed what the problem is they haven't asked enough questions to understand how long the pain's been there you know how did where did it first start um, let me do an examination. They haven't asked enough to understand what the actual reason is for that pain. So therefore, how can they prescribe the right tablets? So I always say to, to say to people, you know, be a doctor, be a consultant for the day and really diagnose the issue or the challenge or the problem or the pain. And therefore, you can offer the right medication. But in our case, obviously, the right solution. And then I think sometimes when you sort of put it into that perspective, it's, it makes a little bit more sense. And also, you know, when we think about the clients that we see, they all have different buying motives. And we've talked about buying motives in the past. Somebody might buy that pen because of the prestige around it. You know, maybe it's a Mont Blanc. Maybe that type of thing really yeah. motivates somebody to buy it. For me personally, I would never buy Mont Blanc because I'd probably lose it and it'd be a complete waste of money. So, <laughs> ah, you know, however, it... Joe, you see, so this is interesting. One of the features of this pen, as you can see, is this little clip. Now, you said to me you lose your pen. Now, the yeah. feature of this pen means you can clip it to things. The advantage is, of course, that then it latches on stuff. The benefit is you don't lose it. So can you see how this feature certainly solves a problem of you losing your pen? Nicely done. Nicely thanks, done. Thanks. Now I can do it. Now I understand one of your needs. But that's it. That's exactly my point. So for me, it wouldn't necessarily matter if it's Mont Blanc branded or anything, because I think I might lose it. But if you are able to solve that problem, then, of course, I might be more tempted because, you know, it'd be nice to have a Mont Blanc pen. But, you know, everybody's motivated in different ways and it's understanding what that motivation is. And you only really know that when you talk, when you ask, when you uncover that motivation those those drivers as to what motivates somebody to buy something and again i think sometimes we miss that we don't really think about it we're so desperate to talk about how brilliant our sale our product is and of course we're excited about that but for me spending more time on that need find understanding more about the business understanding what the business what that client wants to achieve with his business that's going to put you in a really, really good position to, to talk about the solution with much more confidence. And when you relate it back to the need find that you've already done with that client, then even more so. And also think about how you're building trust with that client. I always talk about being a trusted advisor. You know, forget the world's, word salesperson. Be that trusted advisor because it, all the research suggests now, or a lot of the research that I've done, in this day and age where we have so much choice, you know, you think about the amount of research the average person does before they decide to buy something mm. because we've got the internet at our fingertips. So, you know, clients are already relatively well-educated, aren't they, before they even see a sales professional. 
So spending that time to understand, get to know them, build the relationship, uncover needs, strengthen those needs. That's when you're in a really good, strong position to, to talk about your offering and your solution. And I do think that there's still a big, I just think there's a lot of improvement we could do there. Generally speaking, it's funny. So Joe and I work with businesses that have quite transactional sales. We have regulated sales environments where actually they can't be targeted. But then there's also these large value kind of multi-year, multi-million pound contract deals, which often ironically, um, these businesses are responding to a request for pricing in the US. They call it an RFP or perhaps a tender that's been advertised. And in some respects, you would say, well, we don't need to ask questions there because it's scoped out. The, the, the problem we have is obviously if we want to try and use questions to build a relationship as well as understand the client better, if we don't ask questions to delve a bit, we don't necessarily, as Joe says, uncover their buying motive. Um, and often if you and I want to demonstrate return on investment for this pen, this Mont Blanc pen, because it's such an expensive brand. You know, the ROI has got to have some feeling attached to it. It's not just an, emo- an emotionless purchase. Now, some of what our listeners will sell will be relatively emotionless. But ultimately, they are going to be... Uh, they need to understand the cost of doing nothing is more than the cost of doing something. In other words, if we spend nothing, there is a risk that X will happen. Whereas by spending it, I mean reducing the probability of that outcome happening and me and joe incidentally we, we we talk around psychology quite a lot and we talk about moving towards and away from and and actually some people buy things to move away from so it's to avoid chaos yeah. as opposed to let's speculate to accumulate and it or mitigate risk is quite a big one yeah absolutely and and what what's amusing is is that too often we will hear from um from some salespeople that they don't need to ask this because ultimately that they they claim this thing called a numbers game well, it is a numbers game. If you have to pitch to 100 people, you've got to chance it that one in 100 are going to have a need. They've already understood their needs. And actually, they, yeah, you happen to call them at the right time. But what we really need to do is to paint a bleak enough picture through our questioning that the user, the customer, the consumer has a requirement to do something about it now rather than sitting on their hands and hoping that it passes. We have to move the conversation away from this is a nice to have to this being a business essential. And that only comes from from really solid questioning, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And they talk about it in terms of, um, I say they, who's they? People talk about positive consequence questions and negative consequence questions. Um, and if anybody's interested in knowing a little bit more about that, then join my need finding session, which is obviously part of CEDAW. Yeah, very um, good. Plug, plug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the positive consequence questions are Joe, exactly... sorry to interrupt you. I think your, your micro might be backwards. So if you twist it around, I think the... So... Like this. Now, yeah, now talk. Hello? You are now like completely crystal clear. Previously, no, so um, I think... Go on, keep talking. Hello? Can you hear me better? Perfect. I, I tell you what, the listeners will hear that experience as being as if you've just come out the bathroom because basically it was echoing off the window behind you. And I was thinking this doesn't... So you can twist it, I think. So if you if you want it dangling down, Joe, it can dangle down. You've just got to have... So if you look at my microphone, I don't talk into the top. I talk into this side. If I, What you were doing, although you can't do it, you see, but you were doing that. 
but I'm using two different microphones. This is for the recording, and then there's a microphone up there, which is always there. So let me do this, Joe. If I turn this camera around now, do I sound more echoey? Yes. So that's what's, that's, that's what's happening. You were talking into the back of your microphone. So when I did my training yesterday, and everybody for kept saying... Yeah, and for the last six years. So yeah. But then if you're on your own, there's no one to compare it to you. But there you go. Anyway. But they did say that I was uh, not that clear on my training yesterday. Ah. But I'm not sure whether that's because I have my microphone upside down. But, you know, we live and learn. Every day's a school day, Ant, as in we say. Indeed, indeed. And now she's got... Uh, oh. So I think actually it could be that if you on the top of your microphone, if you were to yeah. talk, if you were to talk onto the top of your microphone now, yeah, right, and then talk on the bottom of your microphone, yeah, and now the other side of it, yeah. So yeah, we've got to work out where you're. You might want to take your baffle off at some point, and it, so when you take your little cover off, it will. Anyway, podcast listeners are probably thoroughly enjoying this, but um, but you'll see one side will have the microphone where you're supposed to talk into. And now you've got a droopy mic, which, you know, is always awkward. I th I, can you still hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's much clearer. So it's it's improved. Um, I'll sort that out. I'll sort the position of it out later because it looks tad weird. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you could, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's. Yeah, I'm not touching it anymore because it's likely to drop. It's getting lower and lower. It sounds, it sounds much clearer now, though. You sound Good. like you're in my ears rather than talking into the wall behind me. Good. Excellent. Um, I've lost my train of thought now, though. So sorry about that. Me. You know, I'll, I'll pick it up until you find your mojo once more. Um, so, yeah, I, I, when we're talking to bigger clients and you're dealing with multiple personas, what's also interesting, as me and Joe know, is that each of those people will have different needs. And we can't assu assume that <clears throat> we've if, if you know you've got to win over three or four different stakeholders in a prospect organization, we can't assume their needs are all the same. Um, for example, me and Joe know that talking to businesses um, for Tidal, um, obviously we support sales education, leadership, customer service, Microsoft Office 365. All of these skills and competencies are completely different to another and they all solve different problems that businesses have. Don't get me wrong, there is a consistency of helping a business learn, perform and succeed and engage their people. But actually, if we, again, it's all down to everyone has a need to write but do they all have a need for a nice roller ink gel or do they need or are they at risk of losing their pen? All these needs will therefore contribute to the added value of certain functionality of this pen. If I want it to be robust, it might be a certain material is more important. It might be that I don't want it metal because I spend my life going through metal detectors and I don't want to get sucked by a magnet across the room. You know, who knows? But... There's, there's so many different connotations and some of the questions that we are going to need to ask are, to Joe's point, understanding the client's business. But we need to take those facts and turn them into needs. So when you get an answer from a client, is it a fact? Does it give you just a bit of detail, which is useful, but it isn't going to help you build a business case for them? Or is it they are articulating a problem? If you've got a problem from the client, you need to kind of future base it to work out what it is they want to achieve. So this is my current situation. That's where I want it to be in 10 or 10 months, 10 years time. And now all of a sudden you've got that gap and that's where you can really build in it. So if, again, if we're talking about this, this pen metaphor that me and Joe are going to stick with now for, I imagine for the rest of the podcast, you know, I know that in order to sell Joe my pen, that I've got to convince her that she needs a clip. 
I've got to convince her that she needs a gel ink. I've got to convince her that she wants it to be, you know, nice and beautiful against her wonderful jewellery that she's wearing today, for example. And all of those things are important. She's wearing a, an engagement ring. <laughs> oh, oh. Going to buy myself a hat. It's very exciting. Um, and she's also wearing a silver necklace, if I'm not mistaken, with a diamond in the middle. Is that Claire's accessories? No, it's not, but it's not a diamond. Okay. It's a, it's Shrosky, which Holly bought me for Christmas. Oh, nice. Oh, I thought it was Martin. I was mocking. As it's Holly, I will take no. it all back. Yeah, <clears throat> Holly's exactly. her daughter, everybody, by the way. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so I think what I would urge listeners to do on this podcast is to perhaps look at their product that they're trying to sell and understand what problem every feature of your product solves. And on the basis of that, you can reverse engineer it to turn it into a question. So this this clip on this pen solves a problem. What problem does it solve? Well, it stops people from losing it. Right. Okay. So the question I need to now ask is, you know, what do you do about, you know, what's your pen loss rate in your organization at the moment? I'm using this hypothetically, but you get my point. And, and, and again, you know, me and Joe used to know that there were tons of different features of products we used to sell. We used to sell advertising, print advertising years and years ago. And ultimately, we would start building questions because one of the features of our priority adverts is they always went front, in front of all the alphabetical adverts. Priority adverts were also in size order, full page, half page, third page, quarter page. Yes, and, then, and then that was kind of it. But these were always in uh, size order. And therefore, we would make sure that if that was important for the client, well, if that was a value, that would mean they would get seen more. So therefore, our question would be, how important is it for you to be ahead of your competition? And, you know, what? so that's a bit of a leading question, but you get my point, right? You, you're building questions for the functionality and features. Um, these headphones that I have, Jojo, these are mm -hmm. noise-cancelling headphones. Um, and therefore, you know, I know that these are great for me on a plane because I can't hear the plane's engines or screaming passengers when there's turbulence, or Joe talking to me endlessly because we've been on a plane for 10 hours together. <clears throat> so, you know, for the, so if you think about your product or service that you sell, what problems do you solve with all of your different features? Because all of these make up a great value proposition to the client, but it's a sum of all parts, I think, is the term I'm looking for, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really good analogy, actually, a really good example. And a really good description. Thanks, Jojo. I have one more if you're interested. Yeah, go on then. This is my... So for the benefits of the listeners, Jo, what have I got in front of me? I've got an old-fashioned... Um, well, I would call it a compact disc player. Oh, now she is going. Yeah, it's a, it's a disc manager. It's a portable CD player. In fact, I desperate, I'm desperate to put some AA batteries and see if it still works. So I bought this with my first paycheck in 97. I use this as a prop in lots of my webinars on seal.com. Membership's available. Um... You like that, Joe. Um, and, and ironically, uh, this used to drive me crazy, but I've still got huge sentimental value for it because it is indeed my first ever purchase with my first paycheck when I worked at a, a, as a waitress in a cocktail bar. Um, and uh, one of the things I didn't like about this that my friends had was that this would jump. So if I was listening to music and walking along, it would skip. And for the modern generation, you wouldn't understand the pains we went to. But ultimately, no. these discs, if you didn't have a anti-shock thing in it, it would cause you headaches. So actually, if I was now trying to sell to Anthony in 1997, 98, um, I would say, you know, what do you use this disc for? Is it going for a run or is it just listening to things in the car? <clears throat> okay, um, you know, on that basis... How Definitely not going for a run, I wouldn't say. Exactly. So, but Oh, I see what you mean, Joe. Only because you're not a runner. 
She's, she's saying I'm fat. <laughs> if only there was a HR department in our podcast. Um, she's so horrible to me, listeners. Anyway, but ultimately there is a, the feature is, so, you know, what need can I, what need am I solving here? Anti-skipping. So how important is it for you to be able to use this on the move? Critical. Great. Well, one of the features of this is the anti-shock memory. So all we're doing is making our presentation easier because in theory, our presentation should be as immersive for the, each of the points of contact in your prospect organization as possible by linking their problems to your features. Yeah, that's exactly it. So it'll be interesting to see if anybody um, agrees with us, I guess, not that we, we, we know that, but or whether they're going to start to think a little bit differently when they first interact with their clients and they have that initial meeting with them. Because the more time you spend actually in that need find, the better the outcome is likely to be. It's not guaranteed, but it's likely to be a better outcome. And you talked about building trust earlier and building the relationship. And I think strong questioning, listening skills, understanding the client's business, understanding a little bit about, you know, what that client wants to achieve, but also understanding what, you know, what problem can your solution solve puts you in a really, really good, strong position. Um, most, and I've seen most, many a success. Yeah, most products are there to solve a problem, aren't they? You yeah, know. of course they are. That's exactly what they're there for. Uh, very rarely do you see a product that's successful that's literally just there to make money for someone that's defrauding the, well, the, there's yeah. the scams out there, aren't there? But um, Yeah, it's all about satisfying the need, solving the problem, mitigating a risk. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Should we, should we so, move to listener questions? Please. Okay, so we have a we have a um, a, um, a an email here from Bob, and Bob asks, um, "I'm interested in becoming a sales trainer, but I've never sold. Is that possible?" Wow, that's a really interesting question, and I sh I'm sure there will be a million and one responses to that. If we mm. had a whole group of people here, I'm sure that there'll be lots of chatter about whether that's feasible or not. Um, do you want me to give you my opinion? Yes. Um, obviously Bob, this is... Bob, Bob will want to know what you think. Then I'm sure he'll want to think, know what I think too. Okay. Well, Bob, um, this is obviously a personal opinion because I don't think there's a right or wrong. I don't think there's anybody to turn around and tell you that you can't be one. But if you want to be somebody with credibility and able to demonstrate confidence, able to speak through experience and share experience or share knowledge, if you want to be somebody that is able to draw on real life examples, then having some experience in the sales, sales world will definitely help you. Um, and I think quite, when you start off as a trainer, it can be quite a scary environment. It, you know, genuinely, it can be a very scary environment because you are educating a group of people that you may or may not know, depending on the business that you work in. Um, you might sit there and look at them and think, wow, they're going to know more than me. They're going to they know, they're really experienced. You know, you think back to some of the training courses that we ran out together, you would have people in those rooms that had 20 odd years experience in sales. Um, and if you have not got any experience, it can be quite intimidating standing up in front of them or sharing training with them. You can be 
you can be a process driven trainer quite easily because you're just following a process. But I think if you want to be a trainer that really adds value, really engages with your audience, make sure that when they walk away from your training session, they can actually apply practical, um, apply things practically. I think having some experience will definitely help you. That's my opinion of it. So I'm going to be more binary and I'm going to say you absolutely should and must have yeah. experience of selling. Um, and I would say, um, I, and I agree with Joe's point, no one can tell you you can't, um, but I think it would be very, I think what you've got to remember is um, what do you want your reputation to be with an audience of people you're stood in front of? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, my older generation relatives will say those that can't teach. <laughs> Sorry, those that can't, comma, teach. Um, and actually, they, they, they often are seen as people that bypass, they can't sell. And therefore, they went into training because they kind of like the presentation part of selling. But they were useless at everything else. And actually, what you tend to find is some very good sales trainers can get away with the fact that they've got good communication. They can be excitable and exciting, but actually put them in front of a client, they crumble. Um, and actually, Joe will know in a previous organization that me and Joe worked in, any sales training company that came and tried to pitch to us, I would say I would only be pitched to by the sales trainer. You're going to sell me sales training. Why am I not seeing the sales training? Because if they're so bloody great at training people, they should be able to sell themselves. So, And guess what? In all of them, I think we were approached by 15, 20 in my four years of doing that job. We had zero sales training companies work for us because not one of them would put their sales trainer through the paces. Mm. Oh, it's beneath them. They are, you know, they're very experienced. Well, when was the, when was the last time they signed an order? And me and Joe would often say, really, you've got to have sold in the last five years in order to be credible in sales training. And, and you know, me and Joe now have so much sales experience. You could argue we've done most things. But I think what Joe's point is, is very valid, is that if you're stood in front of a group of people, theory can be taught by anybody in theory. Yeah. But it's the storytelling and the examples that you give from the heart authentically in the same way that when you're selling a product to a client, you give them the storytelling piece of imagine you're driving the car in the fast lane and it's feeling wind in your hair. And I'm selling a convertible, by the way. Um, you know, these these stories and metaphors are important, but they've got to be authentic. And if you're trying to to con your your audience into thinking that you're some amazing sales trainer and the things with social media these days, they're going to look you up. So hold on a minute, you, you were a customer advisor here for a month and then you've now become a sales trainer. Not so sure. And I hate to say it, <clears throat> there are people that I've worked with and Joe knows I don't suffer fools gladly and I struggle to work with trainers that are not credible, um, that are just educated educators um, because actually they don't have the credentials to, you know. So I will never, so for example, Joe knows we won't have anyone teach leadership that's not led a team for Seedle. We will not allow any set persons never sold to teach sales training on Seedle. So um, sorry to put my boot in it, Bob, um, but ultimately, so I did there. Um, ultimately, um, <laughs> we um, have to think about, you need to go and hit some sales targets before you try and become a sales trainer. 
And even better still, if you're looking to be a sales trainer for a specific target company, then go and sell for that company. Unless you've got at least three to five years of target achieving experience and you've got the full sales cycle. And I would say, and what is true, I think, is don't don't be conned by a sales trainer saying, no, 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 that methodology so last century. Do you know what? I think leading into what we're talking about in this whole episode, consultative-led selling is, for me, the most timeless sales methodology. Don't get me wrong. There are, you know, challenger methodology things out there now, but they're all built around a problem and solving problems. And that's really what good selling is about. You're helping educate a client about how a problem they currently have or don't even know they have yet can be solved by your solution. That is what the crux of it is. Um, But... If you can't go and demonstrate that you can do that for a paying client for you first, then I would say you might want to consider not being a sales trainer yet. And that doesn't mean to say you can't be a trainer of sorts, but I just think the sales trading piece is a bit of a different kettle of fish. Um, mm. Sales sales people are naturally skeptical on the out on the outside. They're very confident. They're not backward in saying what they think. Uh, they ha- often have big egos and rightly so. So they can annihilate you <laughs> quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and we've seen that happen, haven't we? We've seen that happen at, in big seminars, big training seminars that we've done. <clears throat> yeah, do, you remember, with... do you remember that person that used to work for you? That um, Yeah, and actually she would over-engineer her content to almost demonstrate her content credentials because... Unfortunately, it, it didn't translate into a... And ironically, she had sold before. She was a successful seller. Yeah. But, but she couldn't translate the stories into real life to make her selling of selling authentic. But that's quite interesting as well, because sometimes the top salespeople, you know, so I wouldn't, I was a good salesperson, but I wasn't at the top of every league table every single month. No, not me. And I wasn't sort of wired that way, actually. I wasn't driven that way. You've got to be... You have got to have a certain mentality to be consistently smashing out in the park all of the time. But those that do and those that can and those that you think, God, how do they do it? You know, how is it that they're so good at what they do and they consistently meet targets? They aren't always the best sales trainers either, because as a sales trainer, you are there to educate. You are there to improve the knowledge, the skills, the performance of your audience. And quite often, if you are really, really um successful salesperson you you it's a very single-minded thought process that you have so yeah. you really only care about that customer and that target and achieving that goal so i think yeah a sales trainer it's a little bit of a unique role i have to say you go from being ultimately a lone wolf to a true yeah sharing the love yeah it's an interesting exactly stepping stone for a salesperson that doesn't want to go into sales leadership, though. Yeah, of course, yeah. If you're a, if you're a good communicator, you're good at storytelling. You can, um, you're passionate, and you can turn <clears throat> education into activities that are practical. I think you, you've definitely onto something. But yeah, th- I think credibility is key in as Joe says, I think being, you know, the toughest audiences that me and Joe train our salespeople, because if they're not there through choice, which by the way, so me and Joe incidentally linked to our wider need find subject to this episode, 
with a sales organization, we do learning needs analysis and we train to their needs. And when we start a training session, you've told us you need this. This is why we're doing it. Um, but, you know, back to the main point here, um, me and Joe would then, you know, complement that with, well, this is us. This is what we've done. Um, this is how we go about it. And actually, do you know what? Over the years, I mean, what you've been been training salespeople now fourteen years. Jesus, that's scary. Well, together, that, well, you've oh, yeah, been yeah, you've been doing it longer than that. me, but together, fourteen years. Yeah. And um, it's it's um it's a challenging world, but the more I've done it, the more comfortable I become because actually, there is no imposter syndrome anymore with sales training because we've been there and got the t-shirt. And I think yeah. the biggest challenge you can have as a sales trainer is imposter syndrome. And actually too many sales trainers I have seen crash and burn or they have no self-awareness. And then, <laughs> and you and I know a couple of those types of people that just don't realize they're useless and they become a mockery. They're mocked by the audience going, well, that was fun. Didn't learn nothing, but you know, they're nice. Yeah. Or this is a really fun game that no one's ever going to use, going to sit in a cupboard. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. It can destroy your confidence, and that's not a good place to be for a trainer. Some people cannot come back from that. Yeah. Um, and there's sometimes I've walked out of a training room and thought, good God, that was tough. Yeah. That was tough. Um, and if I had not got much experience, and of course, in the beginning, I didn't have loads and loads and loads of experience. That comes over time. But, <clears throat> but we're here to tell the tale, so... Survived. Yeah, I mean, I've got no hair left, and Joe's gone. She now has to bleach her hair blonde every day because it's normally grey through stress of sales education. Well, it is so, really seriously yeah. grey right now because my hairdresser's not open. Well, actually, she is open, but I've got an appointment for another three weeks. <sighs> Two weeks. So oh, ho God. hopefully, Bob, that answers your question. Um, have we got time for any more questions, Joe? Today? Well, we could take one more, can't we? Okay. Well, yeah, it's your choice. You're the boss. Have you got a question that's been sent to you, or shall I pick one that I've got here? I haven't got any actually, so go for it. Okay. Um, this one comes from Alex. Um, and ironically, it's linked a little bit to our topic today, which is, are there a standard set of questions I should ask a business owner in order to create a compelling need case? Okay. So I'm going to say there aren't. Yeah, there aren't a standard set of questions, but there is a standard. Uh, maybe not, I won't even call it standard. I would probably say there is a structure around how you ask questions. So I would always think about open questions, probing questions and closed questions. So the probing question, the open questions for me are what really open up the conversation. So you, you start with words such as what, when, which, how, why, what's the other one? Who, so they, you know, if you, if you are, huh? When, when, so when you ask a question that starts with those words, generally speaking, the customer can't give you just a one word answer. So you're opening up that conversation. And this is quite basic stuff. But, you know, sometimes the more experienced you are, the longer you've been doing the role, the more complacent you come. So these basics start to take a back seat. Um, so you find facts out actually quite quite easily through that. And then you might delve a bit more and use what I call TED. So TED helps you probe. Tell me, explain to me, describe to me. So if you use those type of questions and you know, that helps and then the closed questions give you the, the clarity so the open questions open the conversation builds the relationship the probing questions helps you understand what the gap is so this is where you are at the moment this is where you want to be 
blah, blah, blah. And then the clarity, the close questions are, um, give, it gives you that clarity. So I tend to think of the structure as opposed to having a set of questions because every client's different. Every client situation is different. Um, even if you're selling you know, just one product to a m millions of customers, they're all going to have different needs. And your job really is to ask the questions that are relevant to that conversation. That's what I would, how I would answer that question. Um, I don't know if you'd add to that or whether you no, have another. No, no, I, no, 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 I, no, I completely agree with you. I think there is no, there's obviously the generic relationship building questions. Of course, yeah. But outside of that, um, it would be crazy. But I think Joe's right. I think it's all about the open, the probing and the closed questions. The the one thing I like to do is I like to ask the current current questions and the future questions to, yeah. in, in combination. So, you know, you get a fact that's based on now, then a fact based in the future. And then hopefully off the back of it, you've articulated that there is a, a gap that they want to address. Um, so that that for me is always quite useful to to think about. But no, there's 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 you know, there's 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 many ways you can you can do it um and sometimes you need to be careful not to ask the wrong questions you know i i hate sales people that, that you know i had I, in fact i had a sales person on one of my sales training courses a few months ago i'm not sure they particularly liked it when when they i said you know and this was done remotely so they didn't have to be humiliated in front of an audience of people but i asked them to give me some examples of open questions and they not only did they come up with a closed question, it was a brilliant loaded question, which a customer would just go get lost, which was, are you open to new business? Are you looking for more business right now? Well, obviously, they're bloody looking for new business or that's why they, they inquired to, you know, they're interested in talking to you, you fool. Um, yeah. They didn't I didn't say it like that, but they, I don't think they I was on their Christmas list off the back of, of my comment. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think. What we are ultimately doing is we are, through questioning, building targets that we can then go to with our, you know, we're building lots of little targets on a wall that we can then, with, when we start presenting our product or our service, we are shooting these targets down and preventing more objections. The more problems we're solving, the more chances there are, you know, and actually if you do close it off with, you know, can you see how this pen clip, can solve that loss issue it's a closed question yes you know so i think by building a good bank of questions that again like we said earlier in the podcast align very closely to the needs of the functionality rather than the overall solution you know you're onto something we know everyone needs learning and development from seedle but there are so many different things that that we have to think about that are important so you know within it sales training compliance yeah. Yeah. mental health diversity inclusion you know there's a whole host of stuff um anyway there you go yeah good questions though good thanks questions. alex thanks bob uh, do submit your questions podcast at seedle.com and they'll come through to me and joe and perhaps bob um and um alex um can send us how they got on with those answers we gave them and there you go um jojo what's your plans for the coming days and week have you got anything exciting planned other than attending to your new vegetables well personally or work-wise <laughs> always personally joe this is not a corporate uh well, i podcast. don't know people might want to know what i'm doing to, well know, tell, us the... tell us both tell us both well i've got some training later um boring i'm joking carry on <laughs> what am i doing for the rest of the day training 
and training. I have got um, a five o'clock and a 6.30 because I'm working with one of my my team. She's starting her, in fact, I don't think she's starting it. She's doing a module and then I'm going to help her, support her. Um, I'm going to actually going to start swimming again this week because I am fed up of not doing any exercise and swimming, the swimming pools are open. I've been waiting for those to open. So I'm going to get in the pool, oh, somehow um and start doing a bit of fitness that's definitely one of my goals this week nice everybody's starting to go back to the gym and everyone's been running all through lockdown i haven't really done any of that so yeah i'm gonna get in the gym i'm gonna get in the swimming pool sorry not the gym hate the gym we had a treadmill turn up today i've got a bike i've got a cycle bike and i've not i'm not sat on it yeah you see i don't like a cycle bike because i get saddled sore but i don't mind a treadmill because mm. you can put your laptop on the ledge and just carry on working and be on course oh, so for the next six months joe I'll literally <laughs> as you hear me pacing on the treadmill going all right joe i'll be impressed if you use that well i'm gonna age and 50 quid they are really expensive mm-hmm. really expensive well to get the roi on that mate you need to be on that every day at least twice well you see most gym memberships are 60 plus pounds now so yeah, I'm thinking are, after yeah. a year's membership is kind of that's like a itself. year's membership is it or more or just a bit less so yeah and if and i do intend to do two hours a day on it do you mm-hmm. i want to do the dog walk they want to put the dog in it for an hour and i want to do an hour okay no i i do intend to do two hours a day on it until i've shifted this timber and once again i can see my feet okay yeah so I'll be, I'll be, I'll be erecting my treadmill and I will, um, be hopefully embracing slightly warm weather. It's supposed to be a high of 14 on Sunday. That's exciting. It is That's only, very exciting. It's only Tuesday, by the way, listeners. Anyway, there you go. So if you've got any questions, do email them in podcast.seedle.com. Please, indeed, if you do like our podcast, give us a little five-star rating on your preferred podcast provider. And don't forget, you can join us live in the audience and ask us questions. The audience has been quite quiet today, bless them. But if you do have a listener question, either email it in or, indeed, join this live webinar and we will tackle the questions as they come in, in order, using our chat functionality. Um, I've been Anthony. And I've been Joe. Jojo, I need to say Jojo. Well, whatever. What do you want to be famous for, Jojo? You know, when you know, what do you want on your uh, on your trophy of you know when you win your podcast? What is it, Jojo and Ant, or is it Joe and Ant? Is it Joe and Ant? Junt, yeah, Junt podcast. <laughs> You've made up a new name. Yeah. We are the Junt. Junt Limited. Ding dong. Yeah. And on that, that bomb- do. yeah, on that bombshell. Uh, see you next time on the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. Bye.